Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm Mike Brancatelli, thanks for being here, thanks for checking out the show. Got a great episode today with my good friend, Travis Tyler Fluck. Travis is just an amazing human being, happy to have met him, know him. He was one of the first people that I met when I moved here and got involved with the Denver uh, Decriminalized Denver Initiative. I remember attending a meeting early on and just getting into this really great conversation with Travis, who I just met, and it was uh, deep and esoteric, and um, you know, talking about manifestation and, and all kinds of things. And I remember being like, "Oh wow, this is really cool. This is this guy. He really he really gets it." And he was uh, so passionate and and so um, focused and determined. And that's what it took to pass that initiative 301 last year on May 7th. He uh, was the field organizer, field coordinator for uh, Decriminalize Denver, the the initiative 301 that passed on May 7th of 2019. And uh, shortly after that initiative passed, uh, Travis helped found the Denver Mushroom uh, Mushroom Cooperative, the DMC, uh, focusing on cultivating conscious community liberating and empowering individuals through mushroom education, cultivation, information, and much more. And their monthly meetings happen on Mondays at 6.30 Mountain Time. Uh, I have all the links in the show description, so check that out. Uh, I love the Denver Mushroom Cooperative and, and what their mission and their aim is and what they're, what they're doing. And really, one of the cool principles behind it is Look, mushrooms have an intelligence. My the mycelial network, as Paul Stamets has pointed out, is like this amazing biological superhighway of information and, and intelligence that's just uh, beyond what the internet uh, currently is. It's sort of like maybe what it could be, and you know, of course, some pockets of that. But it does mimic that, you know. And um, it, mushrooms are just such an amazing thing since. Getting involved, uh, I used to just be interested in psilocybin mushrooms, but now I know so much more about all kinds of other amazing mushrooms like reishi and chaga and turkey tail and lion's mane. Um, and mushrooms are just such a, a an amazing, beautiful, wonderful, magical um, organism to be on this earth. And uh, I love them. Travis loves them, and they're so abundant. They, they want to spread. They want to grow. They want to interface with us. We, as people that ingest mushrooms, have a symbiotic relationship with the mushroom, with what we are consuming. And working together with the mushrooms, there's a sort of, you learn over time, there's a sort of ethos or a value system uh, that, that is, is, is encoded in there. Uh, one of nature, one of healing, one of transformation, growth, intelligence, wisdom, deep, deep wisdom. So we are, Travis and I, are both very passionate about this. And Travis is, uh, I, I would consider him to be a master at this, at everything mushroom. And we get into that and much more on this episode. I initially had released this, I recorded this episode few months ago, and I released it for my Patreon people. And I've been doing that. I've been doing early releases for Patreon people. I've also been doing Patreon-only bonus episodes. So uh, there's also 
bonus episodes that are released that are only for Patreon members. Uh, and you can support the show on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. At $5 a month and more, there's different sorts of goodies that kick in. Uh, one of them is the private Inner Sanctum Discord chat group. Uh, others are stickers and t-shirts still in development. Um, cause I, I initially launched a, a line of like, I had some t-shirts, but it was just kind of the logo or whatever. I'm really looking to make something cool and maybe a little bit of my perfectionist tendencies are sinking in. So we'll probably launch those pretty soon. Uh, but a lot of new exciting changes coming up. I'll talk about later, uh, on another podcast. Uh, but but go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank and you can get access to all these amazing things and you help fund what you love, you help support the show, you help uh, me, you know, pay for for things like the the hosting and the you know the little bit of money that it takes to to run the podcast and the more money that it takes to actually promote and grow it. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in that, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank, check that out. If you don't have funds and you just enjoy listening to the show great awesome if you like it just do what you do when you like things tell people about it share it and uh if you want to help out the show you could also go to apple Podcasts and leave a five star rating just click five stars where it says ratings and reviews you could also leave a review if you'd like you could also reach out to me let me know what you think reach me at mikedelicpod at gmail.com uh, and you could also message me on facebook instagram you could find me everywhere all those links are in the show description well, another link that's in the show description is our newest sponsor. I'm so happy about this sponsor. It's the first sponsor that I actually feel happy about, that I actually feel like I want to promote them. I want to recommend them. It's something that I would promote and recommend anyway, like, you know, even if they weren't paying me. I mean, you know, Sheath, keep paying me, please. But I'm just saying, I love them. They're great. I wear them. I'm wearing them right now. They're really, really comfortable. Um, you know, I'm actually just wearing them because I'm I'm just spending the day at home, so I can walk around these awesome, comfortable boxer briefs. I have the the eight inch ones. I like those. They're a little longer, um, and they're just they're just made of this really silky smooth material. Uh, they make underwear for men and women. They also make a sports bra for women. They have all kinds of things. Uh, their t-shirts, they hooked me up. I went out there to go visit them. Great company, you know, family sort of uh, mentality with the company, the way it's built. It's, it's very like family feel to it. Sm you know, small entrepreneurial business that's working its way up and, and, and making a name for itself because their products are so awesome and, and how they conduct business and how they operate is just so awesome. Uh, and I really love these guys. Big shout out to uh, to Bobby, to Matt, to the whole Sheath team, to everyone. I went down there and they gave me a little goodie bag after I left. Man, their t-shirts are, are awesome too. I've been wearing, this is my new favorite t-shirt. It's the black with the red Sheath logo. Super comfortable. Made from bamboo and silk and cotton. And I think one other thing, but it's just uh, really, 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 really comfortable. So whether you're working out or you're just wanting something that's really, really comfortable, it's great. And Sheath has uh, the pouch, the underwear, the thing that makes them unique is they have these dual pouches. They keep your man parts separated, which is genius. It's, it's pure genius. I, I, I didn't even know that something like this could exist. But not only, not only does it, is it good for 
separating your man parts in there so things don't stick and chafe and you know get all in the way and that kind of stuff because that's important especially for someone like me i have slightly bigger thighs so it really really works and, and helps but i was just thinking about this the other day you could put stuff in there there's a pouch for your nutsack and you can put other things in there now i don't know what those things might be but let's just say life goes back to the way it was and we're able to go to concerts and festivals and other sorts of venues. Maybe there's something that you would want to have there that someone doesn't want you to have there. I don't know what that is, but let's just say this underwear is not only comfortable with a moisture-wicking fabric, with silky smooth, comfortable, soft-to-the-skin touch and feel, helps make grueling sports activities so much easier and better keeps everything dry and comfy all that good stuff and that those pouch compartments can come in handy if a you know of what i'm saying now i have liberty to talk about my experience with sheath my thoughts my opinions so this is no way a, a endorsement uh by them but uh, they are just the best, and I love them so much, and I'm so happy to have a sponsor that I'm aligned with. And the cool thing about it is, you know, I, I, it's like there's a part of me that hates, this, that hates this stuff, but it's easy to do when you have a company like Sheath. It's easy to do when you're having something that you love, that you wear, and you just are recommending it to people. Hey, you need underwear? Yeah, check this out. So use my promo code, sheathunderwear.com. Use the 20% off promo code. You save site-wide 20% off. These would be great gifts to send to people for Christmas, for birthdays, whatever. It's unique. Uh, I got my dad a pair. He's going to like lose his mind because he's been wearing tidy whities for the past 65 years. So these are uh, just really, really, really great. I, I highly recommend Sheath. I, I love them. They're a great company, great group of people. They make a great product, and um, they're just really cool. And they're podcast fans. They love podcasts. They love comedy. They love. They just support creation, and, and they're very creative. So I, I couldn't be happier to, to be working with them. So it's a win-win-win. You guys get something if you need it. I get a little something too, and we help them out. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a nice big cuddle puddle of reciprocity. Sheath Underwear, sheathunderwear.com. Use the code Mikeadelic. That's my code, Mikeadelic, and you'll save 20% off site-wide. Silky smooth, awesome underwear, awesome t-shirts for men and women. And I got my girlfriend a pair and she loves it too. She's like, these are, she said to me, she's like, these are actually really comfortable. I'm like, what do you mean actually? Like, they're, yeah, they're, they're fucking comfortable. Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, so, you know, don't uh, don't hesitate. If you need a new pair, give it a shot. Give it a try. I, you won't be disappointed. Um, they're they're really amazing. And let's not forget about those awesome, unique, innovative dual pouches that separate your man parts and make it makes it easier to pee. When you go to pee, you just open it up. Boom, you go. You don't have to like fiddle with anything. It's just that you're hanging out the pouch. Give it a slide, and and there you go. And uh, like I said, those pouches can come in handy, and they are. Dandy. Is that, I don't even know what dandy means. I just wanted to rhyme. Anyway, really happy. Sheathunderwear.com. You'll be happy too. Trust me. They're fucking awesome. Um, use the code Mikeadelic. 
20% off is what you'll save when you enter that code, Mikeadelic. Thank you all. Thank you to everybody that supports the show and shows your love. Without further ado, let's get into this conversation with my good friend, Travis Tyler. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. pre-recorded thing and they play it before like you're welcome to the psychedelic radio hour where we're exploring the fringes of reality with a little dose of consciousness helping to weave the web of the mycelial connection on mother gaia that's pretty good for an improv you should use that that's pretty good you should use that i mean for an improv one take Hey everybody, I'm sitting here with one of my best homies in the entire world, Travis, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Travis Tyler Fluck. Uh, Travis was basically the, the, the lead magician behind the Denver Psilocybin Initiative. Is, uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about how you'd like me to, to color your title, because uh, I see you as uh, someone who is uh, passionate motivated, gathered the troops together. Here we are sitting in the house itself where it all went down, where the troops would come. And I'm using like warlike analogies, but um, yeah. But you were, you were behind the initiative. You began it. Now you're heading up the, the Denver Mushroom Cooperative, doing a lot of big things, and you're just an overall awesome human being. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to disarm your, your warlike comments for a second. <laughs> yeah, please this, do. This house, My Silly Home which is very, very close to mycelium. And um, I wore many hats in the campaign, but the the title that I finally rested on was uh, field director. And I feel like it has a little bit of provenance. And uh, I tried field manager on for a bit, but that kind of implied that there were others doing the same job that I was. So um, went back and rehashed it. But... Uh, my uh, my my ex-wife Hope was actually involved with the campaign uh, first, and for two months she would come home after these meetings she was having with Kevin, and she'd say, "I I don't know why you're not doing this. I can't I can't fathom why you of all people are not doing this." And I've been um, taking uh, mushroom psilocybin mushrooms for twenty five years now. 
and I'm pretty outspoken as a proponent for others um, exploring their consciousness, and I've just never been an activist. There's never anything that just like lit me up to the point where I wanted to go out and change the world, and this was no different. And finally, I couldn't come up with a reason not to. So uh, I went to an event that was hosted by the NOAC Society uh, about palliative care and psilocybin. And at the end of it, Kevin Matthews got up and he said, does anybody know about curing mushrooms? Because we have this issue with this this uh, initiative that we're writing and we need to be able to kind of convey to the police uh, amounts, like what is wet versus dry. So we need a, a way to qualify that. And I felt like that was a really good in because of uh, my almost 20 years of cultivation, I, I had the answer to that. So I went to, um, we'll say, we'll call it a board meeting. There were um, about eight people that were on the board with the initiative. And after meeting them, I was, um, I was into it. And a few days later, we got our hands on, uh, on actual petitions. And Hope and I were the very first people on the streets of Denver asking them to put their name on a piece of paper that said psilocybin mushrooms. And uh, very quickly, the vibe I got on the street was that this was doable. So it was just a matter of getting to all the people that were for what we were doing and activating them. And very quickly, um, it was a beautiful thing. I never had to spend any time convincing anybody of anything. It was either a yes or a no. And if you were a no, okay, have a good day. But, um, yeah, we amassed a lot of volunteers very quickly and we used language, uh, that it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, and everybody really took it as a, a, a personal, uh, invitation to really apply themselves to something that could fundamentally change everything. And we had the, the volunteer meetings here at this house and almost every Friday or every other Friday, there were about 40 people that would show up. And the, uh, the fact that we were decriminalizing didn't attract a lot of resources because in a decriminalization model, there's no profit. So we were very, um, I don't want to say poorly funded, but we didn't, we didn't have that much as far as monetary resource. So it was really on our backs to carry the message and to carry the enthusiasm to the community. And at the end of the day, even though the night of the election, we thought we didn't do it, we did it. Yeah. I mean, it was a real true bottom up grassroots effort. Yeah. And I call, I, I kind of introduced you saying uh, tongue in cheek as like the, the master magician behind it. But I say that because you said it was not, it's not a matter of, if it's a matter of when, and that level of belief, in my opinion, uh, alters reality. You know, when I first met you, you were so enthusiastic about what was going on. I think the signatures had just got approved, or they just got all sent in. I forget exactly. It was when I just moved here. We had submitted, submitted, yeah, and yeah, I could tell. I was just like, man, this guy's so focused and so such a single point of focus and like knew what you knew your shit. You knew what you were talking about. You were like recommending books to me. And, uh, yeah. What, what, how did you, 
where did that that sort of energy how did you cultivate that energy like where did that come from where how what made you become such a big believer and and give you that faith so my life up to the day that that we got involved with the campaign was preparing me for this and in a cliche fashion the alignment of 2012 um became um the beginning of what I will call my, my awakening. And very quickly I, I learned that thoughts become your reality. And after years of like toying with that and my fallible human belief system, you know, wavering, I finally, uh, finally felt confident enough to really push on that. And I had this moment, it, it could have been the day we got petitions it could have been two days after it, but I walked into this house and I was in the foyer and something just kind of dawned on me that if I gave this everything I had, that this was doable. And I think that I just, I, I liked that. I liked the sound of that so much that I just adopted it and I didn't take no for an answer. And very quickly I saw that that was rubbing off on the people around me. So I was able to dig deeper and push harder. And then I saw that, I saw the ripples. Uh, I threw, it was kept throwing stones in that pond and I kept seeing ripples. So it just built on itself. And yeah, I, not taking no for an answer is a really valuable um, kind of lesson to really undertake because then your tenacity kicks in. And I think that, uh, I think it was Terrence McKenna talking about that nature loves courage. Right. And, you know, kind of like embodying that and then watching what happens, you know, you kind of got to wait to see what the tweaks that you make in your, in your perception kind of do. And it was really beautiful. It just kept paying dividends. And, uh, when I met you, we had just handed in the signatures, but what a lot of people don't know is that I stayed up for a week. Well, I didn't stay awake for a week straight, but I crunched all those signatures and made sure that we had enough valid signatures to turn in so that I was confident when we did turn them in that we were going to do it. And I want to give a little shout out to, to the Denver election uh, division because they assured me every step of the way that they were going to do everything they could to validate signatures and not to disenfranchise anyone. And in most places in the United States, there is active voter suppression. So I really have so much gratitude for the uh, Denver elections. Yeah, I get that feeling here too, that they are really willing to not even willing to, but maybe they're just more integrity. They have more integrity here than, than maybe in some other places. Things seem to be a little bit more on the up and up as far as I'm concerned. So I think we've had a lot of novel things kind of come through the pipeline in Denver and the elections. I th There's like this level of like, let's see what happens. I think there was an initiative a few years ago about parking spots for UFOs. <laughs> Someone got enough signatures 
to get that on the ballot. Yeah. So Denver voted to have parking spots for UFOs. <laughs> oh, man, that's the, I can hear the conspiracy people now being like, oh, yeah, they need a spot to park because it's all full at the airport, the Denver airport. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, I should I should read a little further into that so I can really build out on that story. But yeah, uh, when I was collecting signatures, I think that story found me. Uh, someone pointing out what they thought was the absurdity of what I was trying to do, you know, and uh, after fact checking it, sure as shit, you know, parking spots for UFOs. I don't know if it passed, but it made the ballot. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's funny enough. Yeah. I mean, I just love that, that this is the kind of place where that's allowed and that, that kind of thing can happen. Anything can happen. You, you talked about how you, you had had this moment where you realized that, you know, that you have sort of been preparing for this your whole life, you know, in a way, it's almost like a, an awakening to your calling to your purpose. I mean, I, I feel that way. I'm sure you probably do too. Uh, you know, I'll let you, you say it, but, but, uh, you mentioned you were on this podcast for episode 100 when we did a little panel, but you're, you were on very briefly. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about, um, cause I have, a, I have a guess that, your the circumstances that you found yourself in probably motivated you even further to try and correct the laws. So I'm a felon yeah. for uh, attempting to manufacture a controlled substance, which is the um, the legalese way to say that they caught me growing mushrooms, but they never actually caught me with any mushrooms. They caught me with cultures. And then in my story, they took my cultures, and three weeks later, uh, after an FBI lab person got a hold of them produce the mushrooms that I was trying to grow. And then they, uh, yeah, they made a big to do about it. And when I was collecting signatures, I had somebody walk. I just want to pause for a second and say how insane that is. You know, we're talking about like politics and corruption and this kind of thing. Somebody took your cultures, an FBI person took them and they grew them just so they could fuck with you. Yeah, well, it was, it was novel. I'll probably use this word a lot, but they, uh, I don't know if everybody is aware of this, but they like to sensationalize things around election time to make it look like they're doing the best job ever. And I guess nobody had been murdered or, you know, there wasn't anything nefarious that had happened in my suburban, uh, I grew up just North of Philadelphia, but yeah, it was novel enough to warrant that it made uh front page of newspapers. It was on the local news um, it was on radio stations. They had a press conference where they had all the belongings that they had taken from my house. And at the time, I also had a head shop in New Hope, Pennsylvania. So they had taken glass pipes from my shop and put it, put it on this table with the state seal and all this stuff and made a really big to-do about it. So it was really uh, it was really embarrassing for my parents. And I I like kind of liked it. And I you know, it was like, Oh, I'm famous. And my mom had to stop me and said, no, you're infamous. It's different, you know? Um, but the really, the stigma part really affected my parents in a big way. Uh, probably my dad a lot more than my mom. It's pretty close to the time when Google was really accessible to, to most people, like people that were like over 50 were like using it. And on a whim, my dad looked at my name and, and found my, uh, my the article about the mushroom stuff and he was just like he was he was ashamed of me and for the first time in my life I my dad loved me but he didn't like me so that was like something that I had to like deal with and outlive um but 
back to petitioning, I was petitioning one day uh, outside of a music venue and somebody that wouldn't sign my petition walked by and said, well, who, who gets arrested for mushrooms anyway? And I clicked because I had been arrested. And this is something that I had not brought into my, my fight, you know, and it became my origin story. You know, we're so familiar with these, these comic book characters and getting familiar with their present day self, but from where did they come from? You know, so I had this really great opportunity to kind of like build out this, this little, um, like bio on myself that I felt reinforced my purpose and, um, gave other people a reason to fight alongside because getting arrested is traumatic. They, uh, a lot of times, if you are a felon, if you're being arrested for a felony, like you wind up in jail, even if you wind up getting bailed out, you still wind up going through that process and they, they strip you down and they, they humiliate you to, to some extent. And then you end up in, uh, like general population and in general population, you're in there with people that have been charged with murder, rape, nasty shit, but just haven't been convicted yet. So in a way it has like a state prison kind of vibe, but for fucking for a mushroom that you could theoretically pick from the ground, like that's how society at that place in time wanted to deal with that. So I really went on a limb and wanted to save other people the trauma of getting arrested and having to do and their families because nine times out of 10, it's not just you that goes through these events. You have people that love and care about you and they go with, they go along for that ride. Yeah, totally. Yeah, man. It's, it's the height of insanity, you know, and thankfully we're changing things, but that's a real, um, you know, sort of a shamanic growth as well, in a way. Um, a lot of uh, people that, that get the call to shamanize go through a very challenging ordeal, and then they, you know, come back from that challenging ordeal to then give back to the community. Well, that's a template, right? So if I go through it, then I can give testimonial, you know, because someone can meet me now and be like, oh, you have it so great, and you do this, this, and I'm like, actually... This is where I came from. And in that, in that, that arc is so much learning, uh, for the self, for the individual, but also for the, the others that are inspired by your present day self, you know? And I guess I, I, um, this whole like shamanic initiation thing is really kind of new to me, you know, but it, it feels right. I resonate with it, you know, and I didn't know that there was a thread uh, being chained through all these events in my life previously, but oddly enough, uh, because of my awakening, I was able to see that there were these themes that kept coming up over and over again. And I kept not passing the test or not figuring it out or not feeling it out. And then, you know, like a year would go, go by or two years and the same thing would come up with just a little bit of a different presentation. And I'm 40 now, so I actually have like a lot of life to look back on and kind of see these themes like uh, reveal themselves. And then I can kind of apply that. I can definitely apply that to the future, knowing that these themes are going to come up again. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. It's in hindsight, you, you see the story and you see the, the connections. So you, you spent some time in, in this awful prison, right? So I spent time in jail for something other than that, but it was like a glean. I gleaned through the prison system for the, when I got arrested for the mushroom stuff. And because of uh, probably white privilege, I had money to get a really awesome attorney. And in the end, I wound up getting probation for that. But um, that got me in the system. And because of that, I think I really took a, a really hard line as far as like, fuck the system and went back into the criminal world even more, more intently. And the probation that followed, um, I got in trouble on probation and then ended up in jail for a year. So there's this 12 year period of my life that was kicked off by this mushroom thing that had me being watched by the system for 12 years. I had a, they call it a tail. You have a tail. So, um, it definitely was like the, the impetus for all this stuff. Mm, yeah. And what was that for trafficking or what was which stuff in particular? The, the second time trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, got cannabis caught, got caught with an ounce of cocaine. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, they don't, they don't take too kindly to that. And I did a year, I did a year in, in County jail over that. And, um, in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania. And, you know, I, re I resisted it really hard. I mean, you know, like I didn't know how to accept it and I didn't know how to like look for opportunity in strife at that point in my life. So it really beat me down. Like my time definitely did me. And funny enough, I like didn't learn my lesson in jail. I was still content to like get out of jail and continue to try and, you know, be, uh, you know, what. Uh, an outlaw. I'm trying yeah. to think of a better, a better word than outlaw, but there was something that I was like, we, we have these, these TV shows and these movies that just sensationalize this organ, this crime, this criminal stuff. I'm thinking about the Sopranos right now. Right. And yeah, it's I this just, fuck the system. We're going to, you're not going to get me. I'm going to get you. It's, it's so many more things, you know, and it also, it writes itself like a, like an almost beautiful piece of fiction, you know, like I'm doing all these things and going all these places and seeing all these people that I wouldn't have normally done. I wouldn't have done if I wouldn't have stepped out. Actually, I shouldn't say it like that, but that was my means of escaping what I thought was to be a very like humdrum, uh, like, like dull life. You know, my, my life was really set up to be academic, you know, my, as a young person, everyone would always tell me like, you're going to do whatever you want. You're going to be whatever you want. And I think that I bowed under the weight of too much options because I found that other than I didn't excel at athletics, but pretty much everything that I put my attention to was doable. So I found myself not knowing what the fuck I wanted to do because I just had too many options and the criminal stuff was exciting. You know, I, I felt that I had this persona that was worth, you know, cultivating and developing. And it's like where I got my, my like happiness from and my, my satisfaction. And it was really, I was really looking for inner peace, but I didn't have the language for that. You know, it wasn't until later on 
that I got inner peace, then I was like, holy shit, that's actually what I was after. I wasn't after to really fuck the system. That just happened to be the vehicle that found me first. Yeah, I mean, so many people go on, on those journeys and, you know, um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting, like you said, like even in jail, I didn't learn. And it's like, yeah, sometimes that's just like, you just don't, you just don't get it when you, when you're at that period of time. Like it's almost like this uh, Yogi Berra-isms or whatever, like a Donald Rumsfeld thing to say. Like you don't get it until you get it. <laughs> it's like this this. I feel like that's a John Madden. John Madden. Oh, you, you know, sometimes the receiver throws the ball down the field. He doesn't get it. Wow. Sometimes he does. Yeah. That, so, so, so that was a challenging period. That probably like confirmed a lot of like the, your, your, uh, your father and other people like, oh, look, see, got caught with mushrooms and now this. Was it like that? Yeah. There was this redundancy, you know, of like breaking other people's hearts that cared about me. You know, that's really, that's really what it, like the, through the anger, I saw the hurt and the, like, it's like our parents lived through us vicariously. So my dad was like really taking it on the chin for all the shit that I was doing um, because, you know, he loved me and he wanted the best for me. And I just was like digging my hole deeper and deeper. And I, in jail or whenever I would get caught for things, my go-to was to figure out how I was never going to get caught again. There was never this like, you know what? I've had enough. You know, I like criticized myself for being too sloppy and that there were things that I could do to like avoid ever coming back to jail. Like that was the, that's how I applied the bandwidth of, of my, my gumption, you know? And it's really, it's interesting because now it's like, it's like, uh, it's who I am. It's part of me, you know, having been to jail, I can like sympathize with people that have been to jail. I can like talk about being in jail, you know, and that's an experience that at this point in my life, obviously, because I'm not in jail, I can like see value in it, you know? Um, but most of the time when people go to jail, it's, uh, it's a bit like romper room and there's not really too much you can do to rehabilitate yourself in that environment. And that sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, if we didn't have the war on drugs and this prison system, I mean, we'd be much better off, but because we do, these are the kinds of things that, that happen. And so, yeah, like you said, it's a part of you. This is a part of your life story. It's, it's shaped and helped given you uh, a lot of uh, insight into who you are now. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what, what it, and you, you spent a, a lot of time, uh, I, I would assume, after you were released uh, from jail touring around the country, going to a lot of fish shows and, and that kind of thing? You know, things kind of just unfold in my life. And I know that now. I like, I'm, I'm, I've witnessed this phenomena. I mean, I guess you could say that, anybody could say that. Um, but but uh, yeah, the, the next big event in my life after jail was um, I had my feet rebuilt because my arches had collapsed. Did that happen when you were in jail? No, I was born, I was actually born with a, 
It's called metatarsus adductus. So the middle bones of my foot were curved. And in my case, my heels and my heel and my toe were slightly curved inward towards my instep. So through corrective casting, they straightened me out and uh, they thought that I would grow and develop normally. This is like a very textbook thing that they do. They do it in third world countries and I should have been in corrective footwear from that point on. And uh, when I was in my, I guess, mid-20s, I started getting really, really crazy knee and hip pain and went to the doctor and they said, well, you should have been in corrective footwear. And I was like, all right. And they said, well, when you're about 40, you, uh, you're going to need to be rebuilt. So I, like that was kind of like a really far off horizon thing. I forgot about it. And then when I was 28, uh, my left arch collapsed and... I couldn't walk. I had to have a cane. I took on a very crotchety persona. I think uh, Dr. House was who I, uh, who I latched on to. And um, it, uh, it humbled the shit out of me because I went from being the most competent person I knew to needing help taking a plate from the kitchen to my bedroom. And... I wound up moving to Pittsburgh so that I could have my surgeries and recuperate on a, in a dwelling that was just one floor so that I wouldn't have to go up and down stairs. And while I was living in Pittsburgh and recouping from the first surgery, uh, fish had announced that they were getting back together and they had taken a break for five years. And, um, I just saw that as an opportunity to, to really do something like interesting and like, uh, yeah. Cause you'd been kind of like, like living a life like a, like, like an 80 year old man. Yeah. Like cooped up and, and, and like I had liked fish before, but I didn't have the opportunity to like really connect with the material. Um, and then funny enough, I was in jail. <laughs> My cellmate had a, had a CD. I listened to it and I transcended the jail cell, meaning I wasn't in the jail cell anymore. And I think that was the moment that I got it, that I got it. And because they were broken up, I didn't think that opportunity would ever present itself. So when they announced they were getting back together, like jumped at it and it was unreasonably expensive. But once we stepped foot into that, that environment, that atmosphere, it was like, like you, you see these churches on TV or maybe you've even been to them where they handle snakes or they like get real like real worked up, like so worked up that they, they transcend, you know, and I had never connected with religion. So being in this environment and having this experience was like having a religious experience. And at the time they hadn't scheduled any, any like uh, tours or anything like that. But the second they did, it's got took all my pennies and, and hit the road and saw as many shows as I possibly could. And there were years that out of a summer tour out of 30 shows I did. Well, one summer I was on crutches and I did 26 out of 30 shows. And there was something that I was chasing. There was something, this, this transcendent experience is something that I, I like had to put so much resources in, but, and I was chasing and I was getting it and I was getting it and I was getting it and I was, meeting people from all over the country. And I was 
building relationships with with people. And then when I would travel to these places, I could stay with them. And it was, it was really amazing. And, you know, I, I say this a lot, but when I entered my marriage, I think I had like three good friends. You know, that was about 12 years ago. And now I couldn't, I don't think I could conveniently count on my fingers and toes how many close friends I have. So it, it opened me up and allowed me to access a part of myself I didn't know existed. What was really cool is that once my awakening took root, I realized that I could just access that moment whenever I want. And that was way more economical than spending crazy amounts of time and money and health because when you, um, some, some of us, when we go to these shows, we, we, um, we take substances that uh, don't always leave us feeling the best the next day. And if you take a three-week stretch, uh, you kind of get spit out after the end of it. But I needed to learn something. I needed to learn about um, having a transcendent human experience because um, my life nowadays, uh, I take... Uh, some would say massive doses of psilocybin and I'm able to achieve the greater states, but in my bed, in my bed for 20 cents worth of fungus. You know, I have these like amazing transcendent experiences that enliven, enrich, and embolden myself and the things around me. I feel like I covered a lot of ground there. <laughs> yeah, no, that I always say that. I got to stop saying that. Yeah, no. No, yeah. Um, <clears throat> sort of a common expression. But uh, yeah, the, the, so that's, I mean, that's fascinating because that music really gave you some kind of glimmer of what you were looking for when you were in a place where you couldn't access anything else. And then, your arches collapse and your feet and then you you couldn't you couldn't access again you couldn't access the outside world so much you you just you were moving on and so i get it i get the appeal of of you know fish and and bands like that that have people travel around and they go to the shows it, it becomes this like this place this church for healing in a way uh and so you mentioned that you had this awakening experience and that was in 2012 right it pretty much like the mayan calendar um i think it was december 21st maybe the 20 i think so there was this um belief that a lot of people had that, that the world was ending you know because of their linear conceptualization of time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the mayans figured out by watching the planets the stars that everything moves in cycles so what they were actually um, demark demarcating was a the odometer turning over to zero again, and there there was this um, I don't know this extra presence in my in my awareness at that period of time. This like at the time I didn't know what it was, but it was like something wanted to be born in my internet searching was really erratic and my 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 perception of self like i didn't know who i was or where i was in the grand scheme of things because uh, a few minutes ago i was talking about how people always propped me up as, as a young person and 
just said I'll be able to do anything I could ever want. And, and I think I just got really, I took that for granted and then age happened. And then I was at a place in my life that I didn't feel that. And I didn't feel like I was ahead of the curve anymore. And I didn't know I, I had lost, I, I lost like touch with that feeling. And yeah, I, I did what I didn't know until years later that there was this awakening happening. There was this, 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 um, instead of me as a human perceiving a spiritual experience, I started conceptualizing that I was actually a spiritual being having a human experience. And once I started like playing around with adopting that, things started happening in a way that some would say was coincidence. And then I learned this amazing word, synchronicity. So I realized that the same data set that many people can look at and some people will say coincidence and some people will look at the like what the fuck are the chances and see a synchronicity in it and i think the analogy i use is a breadcrumb trail so my life became this amazing uh array of breadcrumbs and then as soon as i would go to the next breadcrumb another breadcrumb would drop and that's still how my life is today and it allowed me to re-engage my life um, when I had thought that I was over the hill and didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. Yeah. So you're like, there's like a bit of a surrendering to that, that process as well. Like this sort of felt sense of knowing that there's something bigger going on as you were talking about. And it's, it's amazing how many people I talk to. I mean, 2012 is the year that things changed for me. You know, it's like this is this is uh, a legitimate sort of uh, turning of of the of the times of the of the phase the phase shift, I guess, if you want to say, where maybe a lot of people had become sort of activated to their calling or something. I talked to a lot of people about this, and you know, maybe some people listening out there know a little bit more about it. But as far I, I don't, you know, as far as I understand, it's just um, it, it seems to be a common theme. Uh, for a lot of people. So there's a, a big cycle called the great year. Some people call it the great year. It's a 26,000 year cycle that we're engaged in. They also call it the procession of the equinox. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if everything has a spring, a summer, a fall and a winter, then why doesn't the veil, you know, um, if we, if we came from singularity and we were blown into a million pieces just so we could come back to singularity, there's obviously a process that we engage in that has a spring, a summer, a fall and a winter. And the, the information that I've seen that about the, this great year is that, is that that date in 2012 was actually we had gone the farthest out in that cycle. So it was our winter. And this the the second that that alignment happened, we started coming or rounding that corner and going back into a spring. So the veil, if, if that is correct, then as time proceeds from that moment, we are all going to awaken more and more and more. It's just an inevitability, um, which I 
I choose to adopt that. It, I resonate with it, you know, and it, uh, it makes sense to me. Yeah. I, f- I feel that too. Although there is also a small part of me that wants it to happen in my lifetime, you know? Um, and I, and, and like, that part of me also is like, oh man, like people that were so fucked. Like yeah, but what do you, what do you want? Do you want to a, a become an ascended master in this <clears throat> lifetime? Is that what you're after? Not me personally. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what that really means. I, I, I just think that, uh, having a, a more harmonious living situation in, in the world would be nice. So the world starts with you, right? So if you can cultivate, keep cultivate that internally, you're going to find things out in the world that constantly resonate with that. No, I totally get that. I mean, yeah. I, I know that to be true. And, you know, it, it's just that, and I guess maybe where I'm at right now with like the, the top of mind is that I spent the morning, uh, you know, looking at the the riots that are going on because this, you know, innocent black guy once again was murdered by police. You know, here you are telling me these horror stories about, you know, the war on drugs and how you were mistreated and, you know, all this kind of stuff and the pandemic and the things that are going on. So, you know, social media definitely doesn't help reaffirm your faith in humanity. I suppose, uh, I guess it depends on what channels you're going down or what you're choosing to, to perceive into. But I, I wrestle with this notion of like, blocking things certain things out and just focusing on other things and and being like well i'm just you know my life's good and my things are good and synchronicities are happening for me and things are great but the world is on fire you know so i I guess i'm looking at it from from that kind of perspective but but i know i do agree with you though that we are heading back into the inevitability of more and more people waking up Uh, i guess maybe i'm I'm selfishly wanting us to be in a, a garden of eden utopia tomorrow well if you take a heroic dose and you have the right intention you can do that don't don't just throw that shit out there Uh, explain that well just a few days ago um someone very close to me uh went in um went in uh she she took um a heroic heroic dose. dose the equivalent of eight grams eight grams three more than i've suggested and uh her first words back about the experience is that she had walked through the garden of eden which in my mind is like literally as good as it gets because that is the that's the framework upon which we we fell from that right so if someone tells me that they were actually perceiving that i imagine that is literally as good as it gets that you don't want for anything because everything is provided for you. Everything is beautiful, you know? Um, but my comment, my comment about that was that, that sometimes we can't access the things that we, we, we need to access. Um, so the psychedelics give you the opportunity, um, with the right set and setting to perceive those things. So that that is not missing from your your perceptual palette, and that you can root part of yourself there, and bring it back into the cold, callous, ugly world, and maybe just maybe bring a little seedling with you. 
Yeah. <clears throat> Fair point. I like I like that. I I think I try and do that. Um yeah. I I definitely <clears throat> Yeah, I, de- I definitely, uh, I definitely jive with uh, with what you're putting down, and I've experienced it. You know, I've experienced it uh, a bunch. Yeah, I, I, I suppose, you know, I, I think you're you're always bringing it back down. I think to the ground level, which is why you're such a good um, st- street team leader. Sorry, <laughs> what was the name that you said again? Uh, field director. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The uh, the field director. Um, yeah, bringing it down to the ground, the ground floor, the ground level, uh, because it, it is true and you, you really do start to, as you change and as you move through the world, enacting that change, integrating your experience and, um, that like you were saying before, that you notice the behaviors of people changing around you, things become a little bit brighter, a little bit different, um, life starts to become a little bit more malleable. You sort of understand the the puzzle pieces a little bit, a little bit better. And then from there, it's like, well, then what are you going to do? Are you going to, you going to, you know, rant and rave about the, the woes of the, of the world that are out of your control or make the small difference that you could make. And I'm, I'm pretty down with that making the small difference that you can make because it's a huge difference actually. It's not such a small difference. It's a huge one. The greatest task that we have is to take the haves, the people that have resources or that make decisions for everybody and to change their minds and hearts. Um, Because without that, you know, they can, they can come in and not that we're building houses of cards, but they, it just uh, seems like a, seems like that with the slightest touch, they can take from us. They can level, level us. Um, so I believe that, um, you utilizing psychedelics as tools that that is going to be one way that we're going to actually change the bigger picture. But in the meantime, it behooves us to really, you know, make the difference in someone's day like the little things because you're going to sabotage their story that the world is getting worse and that everybody's selfish and fucked up and that we're separated because that's the, that's the big illusion the illusion of separation. So if some of us can enter the matrix and really flip the script, you know, we don't always, the rate of information is so high and our instant gratification is so dialed up that we don't always get it as fast as we want it, but it's always doing something. It's always helping. It's always working. I can't tell you how many times that I run into people I haven't seen in five years and they reference a conversation that we had where a seed was planted and then it, it changed things. So I'm a student of that phenomena and I just try to intentionally create those moments everywhere I go and believe as I believed with the campaign that it's doing what it needs to do. And yeah, what, what do you believe? What do you believe in? 
because I, I, and I just want to, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, yeah. If you have another thought, please jump in on that. No, no. But I also just wanted to comment that I've, I see this and I've experienced it. You're really good at, at holding space. Uh, you're, you're very poised. Um, you're very good at, at like a- allowing things to unfold, having faith that like, Oh, th- this will be like this. It's don't worry about it. And, um, compassionate, kind, caring, um, so, yeah, is there a thing that that you you know the universe the let's let's okay, entities let's, let's bring God. McKenna back into this? Yeah, he talks about this transcendent object at the end of time that we're all gravitating towards, mm. right? So, if we came from singularity and we're going to go back to singularity, then eventually we kind of have to like get our shit together and work together. That's like, I feel like that's an inevitability in the process. Yeah. So we've been, we've been blown into a million parts, all individual subjective consciousnesses experiencing itself and looking at itself from all these diverse and, uh, you know, locations. And, uh, like, uh, Alan Watts says, you know, the great game of hide and seek, and we're trying to come back together as one just to explode out again. Yeah. So I, I, I believe in that. So that tells me that it's an inevitability. You know, what we're dealing with right now, these these things that are happening, these redundancies and showing us how how barbaric we still are. You know, we we tend to think that we're civilized, but we've just gotten better shoes, you know. And the psychedelics also show us, you know, <laughs> how redundant things have to be for us to finally get it. You know, look at the environment. The policymakers won't admit that that the earth is is revolting on us, you know, that animal populations are dying off that it, it's it's just so evident but somehow they're denying it, you know, and but it's just like a case in point of how redundant this stuff has to be in order for us to get it, you know? So, Oh, totally. Yeah. So I am grateful that I have a a vantage in this whole crazy world that lets me believe in that or not. And to me, it just is right. In my awakening, I've been shown that a belief system almost in, like allows a certain amount of randomness to come in. So when you take the belief system out and you just make the claim that it is, then that's, to me, that's the way it is. I love that, man. I fucking love that. Yeah. Remove the ideology and just let it be. Allow for the randomness. Allow for the synchronicities. Allow for... Well, it's, it's the a chaos, tool. the it's confusion, a, the maze, the, the breadcrumbs, uh, play that game. So if you allow them to be, they all become tools of divination. You know, they become ways that, that, that nature or the greater picture can communicate to you because you have, you have built in the language set. You know, I have this, um, this trick that I do when I need to make decisions that don't, that I can't decide. Like even sometimes major life decisions. Yeah, get ready, folks. This special sacred trick coming your way. I flip a coin. (laughs) And I always do what the coin says. That's the rule. 
But what's really amazing about that is if I really want something and the coin says no, I instantly unattach from it and don't even think about it again. So it's been this beautiful tool to like, like really now I like to be decisive, so I don't always use the coin, but it's been really cool to allow me to move through moments when I'm caught burden under the weight of, of, of what could, what ifs. And then the coin just like spells it out and then I can just go, you know, and not have any regrets. And sometimes I, I augment my language a little bit and I say, should I do this? And the times that I haven't gone with the coin, it's never gone well. So what, you know, like that's a data set, right? So I'm looking at it. And to me, I choose, I use this expression a lot, choose your delusion, right? You have to own that because I can't tell you what the ultimate truth is because you, the perceiver gets to adopt your ultimate truth, you know, but I would like to believe that there are overarching principles that we can all work with to kind of build out our, you know, our perceptual filter that we don't have to just be traditionally handed something that I think I think I'm going to paraphrase here, but the Buddha said, question everything, you know, and I really like that. And like, I question it, even though I already know the answer sometimes, but that's just to really delineate and dissect something to its elementary parts. And by doing that and by practicing that when you, when the, when it's on the line and you do that, it's already something you've, you've worked at. So then you can, can really break things down and look at motivations or, you know, like chess, you can see a few moves ahead, you know, and that's just like that constantly questioning everything, but it gives me something to do all the time. You know, I'm never bored. Yeah. You're really an active participant in shaping the, your life and your experiences. You're not passively resigning to whatever is being force fed to us by obviously, you know, by the mainstream and stuff like you know, never have been. Yeah, never have been. But I didn't. I didn't have a really good inkling of what that was. You know, I um, I resisted it. And you can be pro peace or anti war to achieve the same end result, right? So one is like working with something, and one is working in opposition to it. And in my experience, if you are in coherence with things that are already working in the background, it's going to make it that much easier for you to do what you need to do. And fortunately, because of my awakening, I, you know, got tuned into these things. And I can honestly say, uh, sitting in this chair, I've, I've never been better. You know, uh, I like to call it Corona world. Um, Corona world has really tested people's metal and still is going to continue to. And, Interestingly enough, I just fell back on the things that I've learned and just started repeating the phrase peace, love, gratitude, assurance, abundance over and over and over again. And within two weeks, peace, love, gratitude, assurance, and abundance started showing up. So, you know, like I... Yeah. So sign up for Travis's course, $12,000 a month and you'll get the secret mantras. Yeah. Yeah. It's free. Obviously it's called, it's called a little joke. No, I I know, but (laughs) I like, uh, this is, this is a sticking point with a lot of people because I don't charge for a lot of the things that I do. Well, yeah, this is the great thing. This is the, the, the thing that I love about you as well too. And, and, uh, 
maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Denver Mushroom Co-op as well and what you're doing with that. But yeah, go ahead. Um, I do believe in equivalent exchange. You know, if somebody wants to offer me something, but I figured out that if I just give freely, that a lot of barriers are removed just because I don't put a paywall up. So if somebody needs help cultivating, somebody needs me to hold space. If so, I, I mean, I could list things all day long and I just give, 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 give. And my hope is that that sets up a pay it forward scenario so that people are just more giving. Cause if we all continue to give, we all continue to have, you know, and when I was a lot more egocentric and trying to accumulate resources for, I don't know what the fuck I was, you know, to have nice things and this and that, there was no, I wasn't happy. There's no happiness in that, but the community that I've invested in, you know, like I'm going to get old with these people. You know, if I, if I choose to have children in the future, like I get to raise my family with these people and that's like better than any 401k plan I could imagine. And that all starts with the gift, you know, and the gift, not limited to an object, but time or your talent, you know, and, and I'm a, we're now a year in past the, the decrim that, that that's happened. And I'm going to segue into the, the mushroom cooperative um, is very quickly it, it, there was an emergent need for a, uh, a group of like-minded people to kind of help reintegrate or to integrate psilocybin back to society. And uh, in the United States, we're not really too hip to the cooperative model yet. But over in Europe, cooperatives are very normal. And in a, in a hierarchical structure, you have a CEO at the top that usually makes more money than collectively the rest of the company or some absurd distinction. And in a cooperative, everybody has a vested interest in that succeeding. So everybody puts in, but everybody gets out. And, you know, the word uh, decentralized kind of flies around a lot in our, in our community, in our circles. But really what that means is that every single person has the ability to start the start the web wherever they're at that even if they break us up into all of our individual pieces, if there's 120 of us, all 120 of us could start the web again, you know, and that's, I feel like that's how mycelium works. And after seven months of a lot of, a lot of our conversations really came down to defensibility because federally this stuff is still illegal. It's still schedule one substance. So if you have a body of people and you're organizing um, and you want to keep everybody safe, you know, from the, from the bigger hands that could come in, like, how do you do that? So we settled on a cooperative model that is in name only. We are not a business entity yet. Um, but we are a group of people that, uh, are, or our future mushroom uh, cultivators. And we freely exchange information to better the whole of the community. And, Paul Stamets, that's a pretty big name in mycology. Um, and you're kind of like pals with him too. I've, and, I've and been Dennis in his presence. McKenna. I've been in his presence twice. I've, I've pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Hey, yeah. Travis. <laughs> so this sounds absurd, uh, but I went to a burlesque show with Dennis. <laughs> 
but um, we want to see what's behind your veil. <laughs> uh, I'm smiling. Can't tell. Um, but he uh, he pointed out that organisms that pair with fungi are rewarded or have a greater chance of success or su- survival. And I like I love that because we are choosing to. Um, Can you say that again? The organisms that pair with fungi are rewarded, or I've also heard it put that have a greater chance of survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So the universe, all of this appears to be fractal in nature. So if those things are happening on the micro, they're definitely happening on the macro. So, um, with that kind of our, like our axis of philosophy, let's see what we can do with that. You know, and uh, Corona world has taken away our ability to, to share this physical space, which has been a really, I don't even know what the word, right word to use is, but I'll, I'll paint a little picture. Our first meeting, uh, we met at a coffee shop and in a room that holds about 30 people. And I'm pretty sure at least 60 people showed up. And when I say at least, there's a little stairway to get down in the basement to the meeting area and it was filled. So I have no idea how many people saw that and turned away. And we had somebody film and we would pause every 10 minutes so that people could cram together and bring more people down into the room. And there's just like this, this vibe that you, that you sense that people are ready for this. And early adopters are the, are the most crucial part of any movement, you know, and sometimes you're lucky to get a handful of early adopters. And when I'm looking at a room of like 60 people, you know, like that's insanely impressive because the information and the things that we talk about, they get to take out into the community at large. So, um, after the campaign, I was, I, I kept talking about the rule of nine, the rule of nine that I believed that in the next year I would turn on at least nine people to responsible psilocybin use. And the following year, each of those nine people would turn on nine people. So at the end of two years, I have now turned on 81 people. Right. So yeah. 60. I, I'll count myself as one of them, you know, and, and it's like, there's just so much about mushrooms in general psilocybin included but as well like cordyceps lion's mane reishi like that i now know about uh because of you and because of you sharing your knowledge and i loved what you said at that taped uh denver mushroom co-op meeting about this is about uh liberation and empowerment that was so i i never know how far down the rabbit hole to go with people well actually i shouldn't say that i kind of do now i've gotten way better at it um there's this concept that I call cloaking that you don't always expose yourself to everyone because it's just, it's just too far out from where they're at. And somebody asked a question like, what's your end game here? And you know what? Really quickly, I was able to respond liberation, you know, and that's like a spiritual term saying that you have uh, awoken so much so that you are now free of the um, samsara, the cycle of suffering. You know, and I was initiated into um, Kriya Yoga, which is a discipline that predates religion. And um, 
they told us that your job, your only job is to liberate yourself. You don't have to worry about anybody else because if you do that, it makes it that much easier for the next person behind you to do it. And that really sat well with me, you know? So I carry that. I fucking love that, man. Yeah. I just, I, I love that because it's, it's, it's these messages that we hear over and over again, but you, you're really, uh, you're really somebody that really lives by it. Well, I figured out a while ago that if you actually turn this stuff into wisdom, like then you get to, then you get to the next step. You know, when I was a, when I was a cigarette smoker, my internal dialogue was like, you need to quit smoking cigarettes. You need to quit smoking cigarettes. And then part of me was like, well, what, what does that inner dialogue say when I actually quit smoking cigarettes? So in a way I keep evolving or transmuting, uh, in order to find out what, what, what internal, what my internal dialogue looks like when I actually do the things that I've being asked to do continually. And that's, that's turning insight into wisdom. Cause then you get like, you can only see a horizon from where you're at, but if you actually make your way out to that horizon, you get to see the next horizon. And I'm way more interested in that process than I am just being stagnant because stagnation hurts, you know, it's uh, existentially hurts. Yeah. I think the most painful thing is knowing, maybe knowing like, oh, I shouldn't do this or I should be doing like sort of knowing what you you're capable of doing and what you can be doing and, and not doing it and winding up, like you said, in that samsara suffering, you're back in the same place. Here you go again, you know? And, uh, yeah, really escaping from that and getting this sense of like, ah, Oh man. Wow. I was really making it hard for myself. There wasn't I for a while. Um, but that magnetism as well, something really that I have come to learn over the last a uh, year or so is is more you know i have a i i like to talk i like to i like to go on tangents and rants and be comical and do all kinds of stuff but i have learned a great deal of value in listening of course right uh but also not just listening but like actively listening and then knowing where to go after somebody says something what's appropriate particularly maybe somebody looking for advice right and it's like maybe a couple years ago i'd be like well let me tell you what you got to do you got to do this you got to do that you got to do this you got to do that and it's like there is this and i see this in you too there's this thing of that and i think that all the great teachers of the world have of this kind of allowing you to sort of find the answer by presenting you with a statement, a question, a way of being, an energy, an action, a behavior. So, you know, in my awakening, much like in the, in the Ram Das book, uh, Be Here Now, there's this little graphic of him bursting into a church and wanting to tell everybody. And I did that. Yeah, I did that too, yeah. And Wait, it, did you really burst into a church? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I, I, we, did, I metaphorically consider, did that as well, we yeah. we consider everything a church, right. yes. Yes, me too. Um, I was evangelizing, yeah. But there's something something to say about that, you know. You're you're trying to bombard people with this insight that you've gotten, and get and, and have them get it, you know. And what I learned a little bit later is that if I just 
act in accordance with that insight that I, I mean, the term I use nowadays is be the medicine. People will ask like, what's up with you? And this, when they ask, they're in a receptive mode. So that is an, an entry point to start to dialogue, you know, and the, the younger, um, more headstrong self or I'm trying to think of a word. Like I was like thick headed in a way Mm -hmm. just because like I was, I had access bliss for the first time in the summer of 2013 and I wept like psychedelic experience. Life is psychedelic. So yes. (laughs) Yeah. I, I access bliss and I literally wept at least once a day for a month. I was just so happy and so grateful. And what was the moment? Do you remember that? Was it a particular it moment, a moment or was it a I just yeah. had, I lived in, in a great place. My marriage was great. You know, fish was wonderful. I had people around me that I loved. I think that was probably the biggest, the biggest thing is that I had people around me yeah. that I loved Community, in, a, yeah. in a familial way, mm, you very know, important. and, and these experiences nucleated around live music and, um, uh, live music enhancing substances and the spillover from that. And I found myself really heart to heart connecting with tons of people. And that, that was really, that had escaped me my whole life. I had like tried to impress people to kind of bring them into my friendship field. But like, I think that what I was lacking was vulnerability and to talk about the shit that, that were my weak points or the, the things that made me, made me way more human, you know, and usually I used to try and impress people with my intellect or the things that I had or like, you know, and I didn't realize that that was actually driving people away from me. And these, uh, heart and mind opening substances, just like if used intentionally in the right way, um, can just offer so much. Uh, to self, to others, and then the community, right? And what I'm seeing now, and and especially because of the co-op, is that the community is the real medicine. You know, when we remove these internal barriers and we allow, uh, you know, the the heart to really come forward and we act from the heart, if we have a community of people that are doing that, like, holy shit, what's possible? You know, like, I don't know because I I haven't seen it yet, but I have an inkling that it's a really beautiful place. And, um, I feel like I've, I've lost the question, what you asked me, but I don't even remember either. I was just enjoying what you were saying and, and I know where to go from here. Yeah. Uh, I forgot where we were, but this is a great moment cause I'm feeling the, the, the joy come out of you as, oh, you're, as you're talking we about talking this about the moment of bliss. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. I just yeah. had so much love in my life that I had been estranged from other than I, like my mom loved me, you know, I knew that like that anchored me actually the first First time I did MDMA at a fish concert, uh, I understood love for the very first time in my life. That it wasn't some like conceptual thing that I I always had a pres- possessive view of love. Like, what can you do for me? What can that do for me? But you know, like conditional. This heart opening experience. I actually called my mom in the middle of the show, and I was like, "I get you." I was like, "Thank you," but I understood what unconditional love was, you know, and. And then I was able to start to cultivate that in my life towards myself and towards others. And, um, yeah, unconditional love, unconditional positive regard. Um, yeah. What a wonderful gift to give yourself. What, uh, unconditional positive regard. Yeah. So when you, 
when you don't judge somebody, when you put them in a non-judgmental environment, I mean, boundaries are very important in all this. Don't get walked all over. But when you hold space for somebody in a non-judgmental way, they more more often than not become self-aware and can actually evolve themselves through that. That they have to see the beauty of what you're offering them to really soften into it. But then once that happens, great things happen. You know, we are often bounced around in societal containers that don't show us where to land. So we build up these these uh, these really thick-skinned, resentful ways to kind of look at anything outside of self or outside of the things that you choose to look at as familial or friendly, you know, the world at large. But if you really adopt the unconditional love part, then you can see the you can see the good in everybody. You can also see the bad, but you can also not get hardened, hardened by it, you know, and really compassion, compassion. That's the word I've been searching for, but it's like the best shit ever, honestly. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know that as a young punk, you know, yeah. but now I like, I'm, I'm, I'm blissful because of it. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were so blissed out the other day when you were gardening and, I mean, it's amazing at the house. You've got the the garden going, and the the plants, and the lettuce, and the tomatoes, and the sunflowers, and the beautiful purple flowers that are out there. I don't know their name. Uh, and Alliums. You, yeah, and you were just like, man, I. You're like, I have like, what did you say? You were like, I got no, I have zero cortisol going through me right now, or something like that. You were just like, I have no stress. Okay, Corona world kicks in, yeah. and I take it upon myself to take large doses of psilocybin every other week just because I have the time and space to do it. And this, these really interesting things start happening. And what, you know, like I can, I can tell when I experience cortisol, like you can just feel it, especially when something stressful happens and you react to it. And I don't think I've been producing cortisol. I mean, you know, I don't scientifically know that, but I feel, I feel, I feel ease. You know, like I still encounter frustrations, but they're not, they don't, they don't consume me. You were giving off a very like Matthew McConaughey, dazed and confused kind of vibe. You were just like, everything is all right. All right, man. Well, when you internally <laughs> feel that way, your, your rhetoric, your tone, all that stuff follows suit. Yeah. You know, there's so much that we convey minus, minus the words we're choosing, but in the way that we deliver them, the cadence, all that stuff. And it just, it just like naturally is a emerging phenomena of that feeling, you know? Um, I really would love to travel to India and spend time around very enlightened individuals so I can actually like have firsthand experience of what that's like, you know? Um, satsang is this phenomenon of like sitting around a guru and this like group intelligence that emerges as a result. You know, I see it, I see it in my everyday life in the psychedelic community, especially no guru, we're all our own gurus, but still it's just this great phenomena that emerges when there is harmony present. And, uh, yeah, investing in my visible landscape and producing my own food. And, you know, these are all really life affirming things. And, if I sound a little Matthew McConaughey, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just meant like, you know, really chill. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's, and 
I can't I can't help but think about how you know a lot of people in in the current kind of uh, conditions of the world in which we live in the the game rules of uh, capitalism and um, the oligarchy and this these sorts of things it's you know what the things that get promoted the people that get the the, the credit the people that are in the spotlight the a lot of the times it's not even really they're not even really the ones that are really making that the big change usually it's sort of the people that are in the in mirrors yeah usually it's the people that are just kind of there with that energy and having these personal interactions with with people and uh entering into every situation with loving kindness and compassion and and that that is something that that the, the the dominant culture fails to sort of recognize as being the change agent you know, as being the, the, the factor, the X factor, if you want to call it that. Um, so I just think that's interesting. It's interesting how uh, a person like yourself and, and other people in, these, in, in similar positions or with similar attitudes can affect so much change and almost sort of fly under the radar a little bit, you know? But that's, some of it's intentional, you know, like... The quiet things make you lean into them. And then you have, then that thing has your undivided attention. You know, the, the media and all these powers that be are loud, are loud as hell. They're drowning out everything. But if you can really tune into the subtleties, there's so much being communicated, you know? And so I, yeah, really, if I can give somebody something, it is the opportunity to feel good, relaxed, confident in my space. You know, and that's something that might be escapist in a, in a way, but at the same time, why do you think that's escapist? Well, most most of society that we plug into that's visible, that people engage, that people react to, like they're caught in it. They're just right, caught in it. Right. So to to have a little harbor, a little safe harbor, like that's almost like an escapist <laughs> kind of thing until you actually realize that you can just do that yourself. So it doesn't become escapist anymore, but just an, an escapist in the sense that you're so plugged into the matrix that a departure from oh, that. Oh, right. I get you. Okay. That a departure from that is this, like, go back to fish. Like that I was escaping my reality. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a reality I was too fond of. So I was chasing a space mm-hmm. that constantly gave me the opportunity to forget that the world sucks and that I was behind the ball in life and you know and escapism has this connotation of being a bad thing but i think we we need r&r you know that's like it it helps us to go back into the fray and be a little bit more emboldened mm-hmm. in what we're trying to do if we have if we have respite yeah. you know and um fortunately um psychedelics will give that to you you know, especially if you're willing to lean into the to the bad stuff, because it took me four frighteningly large doses to really get to the good stuff. But I had to work through some shit. It wasn't it wasn't easy right away, you know, and desperation took me to taking those large doses like I wanted to die at the time that I took my first large dose. But everything that has unfolded since then has just allowed me to grow and develop at such a rapid, rapid rate that I am 
instead of escaping that reality that like my life is so beautiful now that I don't have to, I don't, I don't need that, you know? Um, but I know, I know that that's a process. Mm-hmm. I know that, that there are others that are where I was at. So I really try and when people are like in my space, in my sphere or whatever, even if it's a transitory moment, like provide that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just about sort of living in this way. Uh, you know, I, I, I think of the, mm, the term diet, and people talk about I'm going on a diet and it becomes this sort of thing that they're going to do. And it's, uh, you know, marked by a beginning or maybe possibly an, you know, most likely I guess an end, but it's a total kind of forced transformation, uh, to, you know, in a way, some kind of an escapist way of like pretending to be a healthy person. But the, the better thing, that I've learned is that it's, it's more about the lifestyle shift. And so that lifestyle shift always also incorporates psychedelic practice as well, that it, it becomes, this just part of something that you do. You brush your teeth, you plant your seeds in the garden, you tend to it, you water them. And every so often you cleanse the psycho spiritual soul palate. You know, it sounds alien to probably most everybody in this, in this, on this planet, you know, but I went, I went in a few weeks ago and I think the, the, the comment that I, sh- I took around to people was like, I literally had the best vacation I've ever been on in my bed, four hours of my life. And that feeling that you get when you come back from vacation and you're just relaxed, there's no knots in your back. Like I got that. I got that because I was willing to step up to the plate, have the courage and to, and to go into the space. You know, and look at the economy of that. You know, I, I touched on this before. Like, I think I think I, I boiled it down to it cost me around 20 cents to produce what I took and four hours of my time. And then the next two weeks of my life was just full of harmony and happiness. And I got to share that with the people around me. And like, I think... You know, we're, we're always looking uh, for a more economical way to do things, but like, what's more economical than that? You know, uh, the, the number that gets thrown around a lot is like that one, one big dose can, can, uh, is equivalent to like 40 years of psychotherapy. What is that telling you? Right. That something happens in such a profound way and you're getting information transmitted to you in such a trusting way that you're receiving it, that you're actually able to make significant um, life augmentations knowing that that was good information to begin with. Mm. You know, there's something that, you know, in our like parental child relationship, like you should always be able to trust your parents, but that's not the case because of intergenerational trauma. And um, in that space, um, it's very parental, but in a parental in a way that like, it's like everything you're, you're receiving is, is, is like truth. Ultimately it's up to you to like perceive it. You know, you can askew that, but the, the insight and the environment upon which you receive the insight is, is to me, I, I trust so and in, in trust so much that I can like, I can lean on it. Yeah. This is very spiritual for you. This is sacred. This is a part of your, way of living life this like you know you're 
doing yoga, stretches, meditating, um, growing your own food, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it all it all kind of feeds into this particular kind of lifestyle because you know we could talk about psychedelics being used in in a number of different ways. But this is this is a in in the way that I like to use them as well as as tools for you know um, uh, becoming more uh, clear and perceptive to all of life uh, around me. And if, if that categorizes it as being spiritual, then I, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, going back even, you know, 30 minutes ago, I, I, I was talking about making the shift of like perceiving that I was a spiritual being having a human experience and that orientation alone, just cha- making that perceptual change, just like it moved mountains inside of me, you know? And yeah, that's amazing. I forget about that sometimes. <laughs> you know, not like not that I am that, but I forget that that's not like a given for everyone. Well, we're not we're not traditionally handed that. You know, if you had that's parents right. yeah. that have come up upon this insight and they can transmit that to you as a young person, you you have that the rest of your life. Yeah. But I actually had to like break myself down to these essential pieces or what I thought at the time were essential pieces and reconstruct and then do it again and do it again until it felt right. And like I said, when I adopted that, it just felt right. It like, it was like this puzzle piece that was in the wrong place. But then when, as soon as I found the place where it went, it's just that satisfaction. It's like popping a pimple. There's something very gratifying <laughs> yeah. about that like moment, <laughs> that tension and release. Yeah. So I think this existential tension right. that I had, I didn't know that there was an actual mechanism of releasing that by recognizing a self-evident truth, you Mm. know, and in that, you know, it's almost like this tone, you know, like this, this, it's like a tuning fork goes off or something that like, you just feel like you're in sync, you know, and that's a perceptual thing. You know, not everybody's going to have that experience when they adopt this information. But for me, you know, I, I'm a student of phenomena and it just, it felt right. So I went with it. Yeah. What What else are you a student of? I mean, do you, it, it, you know, through this conversation, we've talked a lot about it, it's a lot of learning about your your experience, and quite often, a lot of times, and I can relate to this, like learning the hard way, whatever that means, but learning the way through experience and st- studying the the phenomena of existence and life. What are there other uh, teachers that you look towards or regard? I mean, you mentioned the Buddha. Like, is there particular books or practices that really keep you inspired and aligned? Oh, so if you look at my uh, Facebook uh, uh, profile, it says curator of consciousness. So right, so I I liken myself as a collage artist. You know, I just like really try and take in as much as possible and pick the things that I like. And then in a choose your delusion fashion, kind of like build that out, you know, and I, I usually, if people know me long enough, they hear that disclaimer that I choose my delusion, you know? So I'm, what I'm saying in that is that my truths are not necessarily going to be your truths, but if we start to uh, build this language with existence, then we can actually get a more uh, dynamic, like, what, what am I, word, uh, enriched, no. Hmm. Were you about to say dynamic? I was, but a dynamic just didn't feel right coming out. Um, Explosive. It's not even that. It's just more complicated, more novel, Rich. more, 
yeah, has more part and parcels. There's just more to work with, you know, and when you have more to work with, you can do more interesting things at any given time. So the more that I learn, it's like these little islands are like these things that I learn. And then uh, a lot of times through, through life or psychedelic states, these bridges are formed in these islands. And then all of a sudden I have a more comprehensive or I think I have a more comprehensive uh, ability in the space. I have more lateral movement, you know, and I can like look at the archetypes of things because I've studied young, you know, or I can um, appreciate the teachings of Christianity without recognizing the religion of Christianity. You know, it's just constantly giving myself food for thought, you know, and then digesting that and taking it to dialogue and yeah, just keep uh, willfully choosing those parts that I, I want to keep to work with, you know, but I, I recommend that everybody engages in that process. It's like, a, I think the term that I came up with one day was like individuated illuminative vibratory inquiry. <laughs> I love that. It means that everybody has the opportunity to, to um, douse, you know what dowsing is? Like probing for information. You've seen people with a stick, like douse for water. Mm. But it's like everybody has the opportunity to douse in the way and means that, that they have the things that they have come to like in this world, they can use uh, to see signs in. The things that they are interested in, they can um, develop little arterial branches to other uh, schools of thought that are next to them. So, yeah, just really sponging up as much as possible and surrounding myself with people that are doing the same thing. And we're just going to take a quick pause to remind you guys, if you need and if you want amazingly awesome, silky smooth, comfortable, innovative, sport and leisure, casual boxer brief, underwear, t-shirts, other kinds of gear, both for men and women, go to sheathunderwear.com. That's sheathunderwear.com. And put in the promo code Mikeadelic. You save 20% site-wide. These are the most comfortable pairs of underwear that I've ever put on. Everyone else that I've recommended it to agrees as well. And the company's awesome. Great founder, great company, real family kind of feel to it. And uh, just uh, I love supporting them. And I love recommending awesome stuff to you guys as well. And Sheath Underwear has a unique dual pouch uh, system to keep your man parts separated. It also is just silky smooth and comfortable. Their t-shirts are awesome. I have my new favorite t-shirt from Sheath. So go to sheathunderwear.com if you need something or if you want to buy a gift for someone and put in the promo code Mikeadelic at checkout and you get 20% off. All right, now let's get back to the show. Um, yeah, so there's, a, there's like a million places we could go. I mean, we have amazing conversations all the time. You know, um, like... It's, we'll definitely have like, we'll definitely dive into, we could dive into any direction that you want to go. I, I, I'm down to talk about anything. One of the areas that I'm thinking of uh, to, to go next is maybe talking a little bit about mushrooms. <laughs> that seems to be my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, you know, you, you're very knowledgeable in, in mushrooms and uh, the various types and uh, the, the growing and cultivation and the, you know, the, all the, 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 the nose to tail, 
you know, elements of it. And with the mushroom co-op and the things that they're, you're doing there and, and it's amazing. You know, the last live meeting that I went to is just the amount of knowledge and information being shared and the amount of people that show up and that are interested in learning. And, um, so yeah, I get, I get asked or sometimes people will say, Oh yeah. Like I wish I had some mushrooms, but there's none around here, you know, now. And, uh, you know, but we can, uh, for $40 worth of consumables and a spray bottle, I can grow you three to four ounces. Yeah. You know, and the initiative that we passed allows access through cultivation. Yeah. So here in Denver, uh, where we where we can do this, it's for personal use. And, um, a lot of people seem to be enjoying that process. Yeah. Um, when you take deviance away, you know, it changes the way that you can interact with the substance, mm-hmm. you know, um, first time I went to California, uh, after they had passed, uh, like medicinal, which pretty much, pretty much decriminalized cannabis. I think in California at that point, it was like, actually, no, let's, let's rewind a little bit. I was in Amsterdam as a cannabis cup judge in 2000. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, being in a place where I wasn't deviant, it was really interesting. You know, I noticed that when I first moved here. Yeah. When I first moved here last year, I was just like, this is amazing. It just, I feel so nice to, to just walk into a store and get some edibles and get a joint and have people are like, have a nice day. Like, thanks. And, you know, um, it's just, it's great. It is, uh, it's more natural then you can conceive it to be until you experience it. And then you're like, Oh, uh, okay. And it's beautiful. So, um, Denver, um, I guess has this history of, it's it's kind of a libertarian thing, I guess, but they were like one of the first places to have a bar after prohibition was over. One of the first to decriminalize cannabis. So why wouldn't it follow suit that we would go right on down the line? Yeah, just one thing I want to say about what I what I just said. It's not so nice when you walk into a, a shop and then you see the sales tax. So fuck that. But uh, but then having said that, you can grow your own cannabis. Well, you, you're you know? right. You can yeah. grow your own cannabis. So there's like access through cultivation, and um, most people, it's a little, it's very foreign to jump into something you know nothing about and do it. You know, fortunately, there's early adopters that were like, I'm just going to do it and make all the mistakes and figure it out. And they are our master growers now, you know. Um, but I, I don't know what I don't know what keeps people from really just learning as much as possible about all things. You know, I don't know where we I think it's probably the the type of schooling that we get. We learn for the test. And I think that takes away our our like our curiosity in a way you know and there's so much that i learned in school that i've forgotten you know because i i memorized the shit out for the test but the the practical the philosophy part of it you know um should have stayed with me you know unfortunately we had like the internet so i can like cross-reference if i want to like do algebra matrixes i can look it up how to do it now you know but yeah, people are not uh, empowered to the point where they are, you know, citizen scientists or like continually learning, you know. So that tax, that's part of like 
that's part of that, you know, the, right. the, the cost of being remaining ignorant. Well, yeah. And, and it, I don't even know if it's like a conscious choice. It's just sort of a conditioned behavior of just being able to just get anything we want on demand and not having to actually work towards the direct result of that thing. Like we'll exchange our money that we've exchanged our time and energy for, and then we could just go and buy things on Amazon and they're delivered right to our house. But it's a completely different kind of world. And when you're involved in the process of creating something and making something and knowing something, uh, and it it adds more than just having that thing. It adds like a, a total satisfaction of that process to it as well. So I'm going to paraphrase here, but Alex Gray said something to the effect that the objects uh, are imbued with the essence of their creator. You know, yeah, the, the objects are imbued with the essence of their creators. <laughs> Is that like Terrence and Alex? I'm trying to do an Alex. Uh, 37 Alex years McKenna? ago, my wife, Allison, told me to build Cosm. And my friend uh, does does a fantastic Alex Gray uh, impression. That's where I got it from. But yeah. Um, so yeah. Repeat that Alex Gray line again. The, the objects... Our objects are imbued with the essence of their creator. So I think that you can always tell the difference between something handmade and something like computer generated, or at least, you know, I make jewelry. So I'm in that world where there's computer aided design now that's kind of taking over, um, which is its own skill set. But the, the subtleties of imperfection of, of a handmade object will always, it'll just be, you'll have, it'll have more aesthetic in a way, you know? And, uh, I think that because of that instant gratification thing, people have to like departed that whole ra- that whole way of thought, you know, um, not taking the time to like garnish their own plates or like adding flair in their life to like just in enrich it or individuate it a little more, you know. And I think the school system, going back to that, it makes really good drones really good factory workers. And I think that that kind of like stays with a lot of people, you know, in the sense of like 401k, if I don't have a 401k and 2.5 kids and this and that, like I'm not doing it right. Yeah. You know, and the millennials for, for all the knocks that they take, I think are going to pop up in the middle of this and see the absurdity of that and actually start going back to stewardship and, you know, self-empowered growing food and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been curious and interested in reading and entertaining the idea, but this pandemic, this quarantine lockdown situation has really pushed me further in that direction to say, I really want to start living more in alignment with, with those things, with growing, with making, with creating. Well, globalism, um, has, has revealed its flaws because we have things made overseas because it's cheaper. But then when those supply chains are cut off, we're fucked. Uh, case in point, they make IV bags, like the largest epicenter of IV bag manufacturers in Puerto Rico. So when they got hit by the hurricane, there were IV bags that weren't being made. And obviously we need those, you know, but it just shows the flaws in not having locally sourced things. Not to say that every town needs to make IV bags, but it's just a, a, a case in point where something that's made far away that we get cut off from, then we need it, you know? And I think that this 
this virus, which I see to be more a virus of the mind than anything else is like, we're so dependent on the system that we have no fucking idea what to do with ourselves when the system can't provide for us. Like we yeah. freak out, Yep. you know? Yeah. So yeah, the more that we can do to, uh, how does it go? Think globally, but act locally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something that's really being instilled in us now. And fortunately the virus, this happened in the spring. So everybody had the opportunity to like, put that into like, um, like efforts that would bloom, you know, mm. I, I, I think if this would have happened in the winter, it'd be a totally different beast. Interesting. Yeah. You know, um, there's something about being able to go outside and just escape, you know, that just, yeah, just get some sense of what we think to be normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, but I think that if anything, uh, more self-reliance comes out of this that generations from now will, will thank us. Yeah. 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 And I, I can't help but think about also the, the amazing benefits of, you know, talking about like learn, learning how to grow. And we were talking about uh, psilocybin before, but the, there's also so many, like you saw fantastic fungi, right? Twice. And I cried both times. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I cry I cried uh when I saw Paul Stamets was banging his head to to Skrillex. Um <laughs> I I like the part with the woman that was in the Johns Hopkins study. Yeah. And the end of life. Yeah. Yeah. You, you take someone that wouldn't have done this substance if it hadn't been for Johns Hopkins, right? If Roland Griffiths hadn't figured out the exact way to introduce this to the 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 governing bodies. Cause there has been a moratorium on this shit for like 30 years after Nixon and his cronies passed the, passed the, um, controlled substances act in 1971. I think it was, they put a moratorium on studying this stuff. So somehow Roland Griffiths convinced these people to take dying people and to give them psilocybin and Holy shit. I'm pretty confident that that work alone really became a tipping point in our environment. Because when I was throwing the name Johns Hopkins around to people, they're like, oh, if Johns Hopkins thinks it's, if they're fruitfully studying this for 20 years, this must be okay. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it really um, legitimizes it and gives it the, the, the honor and the credibility that, that it deserves when you have those places doing that. Um, not that it doesn't have it on its own, you know, for us, but to, to the normies well, it's, out it's, there. I love the word provenance. Mm. Right? It's because they did it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Makes it okay. Yeah. Um, but going back to the Fantastic Fungi movie, um, yeah, the, the woman, she was uh, communicating with the, the psilocybin or whatever she was encountering. And she said, no matter, no matter what, I just don't want to come out of this worse than I went in. And the the intelligence said back to her, I would never ever do anything to hurt one of my creations. And I'm even like feeling the tears right now. It's just like, yes, yes. You know, that like we're missing that direct contact with Gnosis and it's our birthright. We are it, you know? And I think that if we exposed more people to that experience, that it would change everything, you know? And we deal with symptoms all the fucking time. We barely ever go after root causes, you know? And if we are all walking around with an existential dilemma, like, what do you think that's going to do? 
you know, and fortunately these things are now coming back and giving people these glimpses of that. And then they can bring that back with them and bring that into their waking life and bring that to their families. And, you know, it's this beautiful thing that when grandma's healed, their parents are healed and the children are healed. There's like so much from one experience, you have a whole system that has, uh, been allowed to heal a little bit, you know? Yeah. What are, what are some other cool things that, that mushrooms can do? I mean, I, I remember seeing, um, I remember seeing this like company that started They're they're making, uh, instead of having like styrofoam and boxes and cups and things like that, they're starting to make things out of mushrooms. I don't know what kind of mushrooms. And then I saw another article that said there's a specific kind of mushroom that can eat plastic. So let's, let's, let's get down to, uh, archetype or function in nature. Like what do the, what do the fungi do? Right? Like in, in nature, there is no waste. And uh, humans are really good at creating waste. So there's, we've missed that, that part of the cycle. And the mushrooms take the dead and decaying, and sometimes living, and they break it down into usable pieces so that it can be regenerated. You know, and that, I love that archetype. And these things, these applications that we're seeing all over the place are rooted in that. You know, we just have so much glut and that is not always our garbage cans. It's like our way of thinking, you know, it's these stories that we tell ourselves that we can't let go of, even though they're killing us. Right. Yeah. Like the garbage within us, the rot. Yeah. So yeah. these, the fun fungi, they're like, they digest, you know, that's what they're always doing. And wouldn't you know it that when you take psilocybin, that this digestion happens of these these things that you've accumulated your accumulated humanness and then you can actually peek out as your truest self because this accumulated waste has been digested you know so these these really cool applications we've we um we're so dependent on petroleum because it it emerges a very very cheap thing that could do so many things the diesel engine was originally designed to run on peanut oil, but petroleum was cheaper. So it won, you know, and now we have all these things that rely on petroleum, you know, all these plastics and these containers and like just so much fake plants. And uh, yeah, we need, we need something to take up that space. And if you take fungi and cannabis, all those things are possible. So these little things that are like piquing your interest here and there, they're just like manifestations of that, of that process, that underlying process, you know, and the, um, mycelium is aggressive and you keep giving it food and it does its things. And there are a lot of, really smart, well-endowed people right now working on um, like mushroom proteins because you wind up getting the protein, you get fiber, and you get this great array of antivirals, anti-inflammatories, like anti-tumor. Like there's just so much good stuff going on, you know, and it's been hiding in plain sight the whole time. And 
Rishi, which is also known as the mushroom of immortality, um, they, d they didn't always cultivate it, obviously. They had to forage for it. But uh, at one point in, in China, the emperor wanted them so much that if the peasants didn't find them and feed them upstream, if they were caught, caught with them, they could be put to death. So this, you know, seeing these mushrooms as these treasured thing is not a new, new concept. Um, but most white European people, because mushrooms also happen to be really poisonous if you pick the wrong ones, developed a cultural myco like phobia. So it just kind of kept that kingdom out of our reach because we just figured that we we would stay safer if we didn't didn't tempt fate. Yeah, do you think we were, we were scared off by the fear of of death? Yeah, you know, like oh, these are well, and it seems to be the kind of the puritanical like uh if you want to call it that influence of the west of america is this denial of death fear of death like protect at all causes over sanitize well, sh make everything let's back up further than than uh, so when the romans validated christianity they put a they put an object or a thing between you and it right the the great it and when you remove that, you, yeah, fear, fear, uncertainty, you know, like when you are in alignment with it, you are full, you are full of love, you are full of certainty, you're full of abundance, you know, and these, somebody figured out a divisive way to uh, separate us from that. And when we got separated from that, we um, lost touch with nature. And Another really interesting phenomenon, and this became. Uh, have you read the book Ishmael? No, I've about heard the it, enlightened though. gorilla. I but it, read it makes this this central argument that once we started uh, cultivating food, that we no longer had to forage, and that's when problems started. Because when we cultivated food, we could have surplus food, and when we had surplus food, we could have surplus population. You know, because the land wasn't providing for us in the same way, and then just like. You know, like look at everything that's precipitated out of that. Mm, yeah, it's created that sort of disconnect between the land and the and the people inhabiting. Well, it. a dominator culture. Yeah. Right. By cultivating the land, you're you're dominating the environment to produce the things that you want to produce. Yeah, yeah. The con control. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. So we where just, we where, just covered a lot of ground there. Well, yeah, we did, but it's great. I mean, like, where where what's your vision for? I guess maybe how how you're looking to live your life you know from this point moving forward um and also for you know the the things that you're involved in and the i guess the the, the movement of the mushroom and the uh it reaching people and people be, becoming kind of uh tuned tuned into this um right before corona world happened i had uh, i attended a training to become what's called a death doula and a death doula is a person that sits with the dying and holding space for people to have these experiences feels a little bit seance like a little bit exorcism like it has this like very it has a like a, a feel to it and when I learned about death doulas and 
and I looked back at the Johns Hopkins research, it just felt like this was like a great place for me to kind of nestle in. And wouldn't you know it, the death doula community has been waiting for this stuff to become accessible because the statistic that they gave me was that 80% of people, no matter how religious they are, when it comes to the end, they're uncertain. They don't know. And the body has a natural mechanism to die. It has, and when we, when we try and put the brakes on that, like we really complicate things. So if you can enter a tool into that environment that cures people's existential dilemma, then they can die with dignity. And something I touched on a while ago is this systemic thing that happens that when one person heals, that the people around them are healed. And if we can start to look at death as a transitory moment instead of a terminating moment, then I think we can live better. So when, when some of these barriers let up, I'm going to like do the deep work and work with people with psilocybin and end of life stuff. And I feel like that is going to be one of the greatest troves of, of existential gold that I've ever, ever like delved into. And, uh, for right now with these, uh, alternating weekly, really deep psilocybin doses, I'm trying to get myself right as right as possible to re-engage these things when they start, when they start coming back, coming back around. So right now, my biggest, the biggest things I'm working on are building community and really showing people how fast we can evolve through these uh, symptomatic problems if we just freely share information and we work together. And then one step further to really engage the, the dying and to learn as much as possible so that can take it back to the living and we can reorient our lives. Yeah. I, I frequently bring up the, this, um, woman, I believe she wrote a book and was going around. It's the five regrets of the dying. Uh, and, um, so she interviewed a bunch of people. Uh, I forget how many, but I frequently bring it up because it's, it, it is, uh, we're all going to have to be in that, in that moment, you know? And it's like, well, where, where do you want to be? And, and like you were saying, you know, you're like, I imagine the dying experience is much like a very profound psychedelic experience in a way. It is a psychedelic experience. You are manifesting into another plane of something that we can't comprehend or fathom. Is it Ramdas that said when you die, it's like taking off a tight shoe. Maybe. Yeah. That sounds like Ramdas. Yeah. Yeah, you're just like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, taking off a tight shoe. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a transition, and and it should be looked at as a, a celebration. Like I kind of look at it in, in these two worldviews, and like the, the sort of dominator worldview that denies death, that doesn't allow people to die in a beautiful way, um, and then the the ones that that celebrate it and make it beautiful and bring it all home. You know, you're going back home, essentially. Yeah, I mean that's the way I. That's the way it feels, you know. And I. Yeah, who knows? We could be going to Zeno's home world, and Scientologists were right all along. 
<laughs> well, I mean, the really, no, no, really, I'm just kidding. the really, really deep psychedelic places I found myself in, I, it, it felt very like death-like. I wish there was another word because death feels so end. Um, maybe like, like uh, very like not ego centered, not ego centered. Cause yeah. right now we're like, everything has to be channeled through that for us to right. exist, operate, you know, what is that called? That like the perceptual lens or, or whatever, like, yeah. Our perceptual lens filter. I mean, we could filter. call it a million things, yeah. but there's this, when you, when you go into these really deep states and you don't have self identification, like, what is that? The right. mer- merging with oneness. Yeah. Non, non dual states. Right. And then you, you realize that the, the body is just, temporary or at least i did you know the first time i became lucid in a really deep state um i communed with jesus actually and he's like what did you think this was going to be like you of all people like (laughs) duh and you know when i hold space for people they talk a lot and i didn't say anything that journey except for duh (laughs) (laughs) yeah and in that moment I, i it felt like i remembered it felt like I remembered that I actually spend more time there than I do here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I chose to adopt that. And so my, my personal hope is that by exploring this space repeatedly, that when it comes time for me to transition, it'll, I'll, I'll anticipate it in a joyful way. And that my legacy will be, um, enough that I know that I left myself behind in all of this, you know, yeah leave it all out on the on the field you know give it give it your all that sort of thing play it drive it till the wheels fall off yeah but we always don't know how to do that no of course not we continuously forget i mean yeah that's that's a part of being in this in this duality is that the the constant the expansion the contraction the the coming the going the you know the birthing and the death and um you know, that, that remembering, that forgetting and remembering. You have to have been dismembered to remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I suppose that, you know, that's, that's what happens. Well, that, I mean, like that's when I, the first time that ever left my mouth, I was like, yeah, holy shit. These are things that we forgot. And then of all the, the things that I've ever seen come up in these, these spaces, holding space for people. The only vision that I've seen shared by two people was the soul forgetting its infinite nature so that it could participate in the human experience. Mm -hmm. So we make an agreement to forget so that we can actually come here and learn and grow and develop. Mm -hmm. Yep. I feel that. Yeah, I feel that. And I think a lot of these things, it's not like we're saying them and they're like, this is what it is. And, you know, listen and know it's, you just have to experience, if you get to if you get a chance to experience something like that, then you kind of, it's kind of confirmed in every fiber of your being. Well, the, the, the mushroom specifically, I haven't, haven't done ayahuasca yet, but they have this great way of taking everything in your memory bank, your life experience bank, whatever whatever data you've accumulated over your lifetime and they should, they present it in a way that just teaches you like at a, it's such a dense rate. It's, it's incredible. 
but it's it's literally all stuff that you're familiar with but they show it to you in a way that is just like you've never seen it before and but right. it makes perfect sense yeah and it makes you go ah oh, of course yeah why yes so it just it <laughs> never never ceases to amaze me how everybody has a different experience because of that Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you never know what you're going to get, Forrest Gump would say. Yeah, that's right. Life is like psilocybin mushrooms. Mushroom chocolate. You never know <laughs> what you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. Cool, man. Well, obviously, we're going to be doing this again. Um, but I'm glad this is – it took a little while to to, to get on to hop on the mics. But uh, I'm glad we did. I glad, I'm glad we did at this point. Uh, I feel like this has been – there's been a lot of – uh, growth and journeying and learning and discovering and you know interacting with with and interfacing with new things and new ideas and and people and communities and so yeah what what uh wh- where should people go to to check you out and and stuff uh, Denver Mushroom Co-op and give all the the handles and the info and the deets yeah uh right now the best the best place to go is the denver mushroom cooperative and we definitely hit a little bit of a a stumbling we hit a little pebble uh with corona world but we're gonna try and really do a good job of having an online platform almost like a it's like a portal to the mycelial web we um we bought the domain mush.love and it's going to be kind of like a resource center a maybe a little bit social social media kind of like feel to it but like a place where like-minded people can go to get good information and uh find the others you know that's the one the one um leary quote that didn't get as much traction as drop tune in drop out i forget exactly but yeah tune in turn on drop out yeah finding the others is i love that quote find the others yeah is like the penultimate goal because when we when we com- combine our our amplitudes of of our of our usness, you know, that's that it's like a sum total, you know, and we will find the places that need this information because really ultimately it boils down to information, good information. So if people are going out there with with science and testimonial and direct experience like that that's i feel like the best thing that we can do to spread the ideology and yeah denver mushroom cooperative so yeah just keep keep checking back it will grow and develop um at the rate that we can um that we can do it you're pretty you're active on instagram too so it's the same thing dmc yeah it was the account for the for the initiative so we we inherited twelve thousand followers which has been really nice Nice. we already have a built-in community we didn't have to like like build it yeah 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 and i'm sure people can like ask questions and reach out and contact and all that kind of stuff yeah any questions you have just i mean send them through there i'll probably be the one to answer it or uh or riley uh, my other um captain at arms right now but right yeah uh, former uh, we past guest on the questions. show we get the question a lot like do you know where i can find some and that's like it's a hard question for us to answer all the time It'll because find you because we we teach uh, you know access through cultivation and by if we violate 301 we're doing a disservice to the entirety of what we're doing here yeah that's really important what you just said there because you know as much as you know my my core beliefs are of course this should be everywhere you know of course 
but uh, but we really want to operate within the framework in which we've created here to keep this thing moving and going and growing and well, showing. It, it has that much intelligence, so it wants to be crafty. It wants to show how smart it, it is. It is, yeah. You know, slide devils. Though. You know, look at the mushrooms have been hiding in plain sight this whole time, and yeah. they 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 grow out of poop, which is the greatest a- allegory ever. That something. Yeah. This alchemical gold comes out of this pile of poop. Like, yeah. holy shit. The best magic comes out of shit. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being patient with me. Yeah, no I, problem, um, man. Of course. I um, Things kind of fall out or emerge sometimes in conversations that I wish that there was some way to like capture that. And uh, sometimes it's a little challenging when the spotlight's on to be as profound as I want to be. You know, so I think I just staved it off a little bit until I, it's funny, these, these, these journeys lately have really put me in this hyper-connected, relaxed state. And the intention that I made for myself this morning is that this, this space would, there would be things that would emerge and it would be beautiful and it it didn't let me down. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's, uh, It's like this weird thing where you're like, yeah, well, we'll just like let it be and whatever it is and allow it to emerge. But then there's that part of you that's like, yeah, but I really want it to be good too. And, you know, oh, so. you want it to be so good because yeah. you want, <laughs> you just want that, that to go out to people that, that do listen to this and receive it, you know, in the way that you mean to transmit it. There's like this, uh, authenticity that I'm chasing that I don't feel like I'm chasing anymore because I'm just it, you know, I am it. But I tell myself that I am that I am. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, we all are. We all are. That we, we are. are. <laughs> that we are. Yeah, I I are that I are. Yeah. Well, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, – so that's it. Yeah, Travis Tyler Fluck, Denver Mushroom Cooperative, um, you know, one of my, my best friends here. And, uh, you know, just uh, constantly being uh, inspired – and learning and growing. So I uh, appreciate it, man. Uh, much love. Much love. And till next time. Thanks, folks. Peace. Peace. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. All the links are in the show notes, show description. And to support Mike Adelic, you can leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts. You can become a patron and get access to all kinds of bonuses like the private Mycadelic Inner Sanctum Discord chat group, bonus episodes, more goodies, merch, things of that nature. And check out our sponsors, sheathunderwear.com. Go to sheathunderwear.com. Put in the code Mycadelic. Get 20% off everything at sheathunderwear.com. It's awesome underwear. Go check it out. And check out Student Loan Tutor. Schedule a free evaluation. Studentloantutor.com. Tell them I sent you there. Thank you so much, all of you, to everybody who supports this show. Thank you for all the love and support, all the kind words. This show wouldn't be possible without you. You know who you are, and you know what to do if you love things. Tell people about it. Share it. Like it. Subscribe. And stay tuned for more awesome episodes like this shout out to danny barnett and galaxia for the intro and outro songs and of course to all you out there much love peace